0: Good afternoon, Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones. Don't mind me, I'm just doing some emergency surgery on these headphones right as we go on. I realize that they're not, you know, the little, they're not right. screwed in all the way. So that's,
1: yeah. oh, I feel as if that's going to be theme of the show today because Brett, or Brett comes in and uh, he uh, inspects the chairs and doesn't like the squeaky chair and, you know, goes through all of them and I think I tries to... I traded the chairs. The tries to squeaky m- chairs in the corner. Right. Well, where it should be, frankly. Yeah.
0: Should It should be thrown out this window, quite frankly. Well, which I'm surprised you haven't done that yet. But uh, anyway. We've had that. I don't know. <laughs> how uh, is a chair like that allowed to be? Anyway, uh, I'm just getting angry thinking about it. Squeaky chair. It's uh, it's actually became sort of comical, really. Right. That uh, I don't know if you noticed Jeff Currier when he, be, when he began his last word, the square cheeked or squeaked. Anyway, I'm getting all flustered thinking about it. Tristan, what do we have coming up in the show today?
1: <laughs> so, we're going to talk about the Main Street Research and uh, Post Media poll about perception. ...in major cities across Canada. We'll chat about that at 1.20. I brought, uh, I asked Stefano Grande from the Downtown Biz to join us for a few minutes because they tackle uh, perception and they try to get more people downtown. So we'll cover that. Uh, We'll also have plenty of time for listener feedback. And Brett, we'll talk to uh, someone who, in the middle of turmoil in her life, decided to go for a complete change and uh, decided to publish a magazine... A neat little personal story there, and of course, uh, we'll talk about uh, getting fit as well. Brett, I know you're approaching 40, and that's something that concerns you. Let me put you this way, whether or not you're 40, uh, being fit is something that we should all be concerned about,
0: myself included, so I'll be very interested in that segment as well. Well, and the reason, the particular reason why I was motivated by that is uh, I'm just, I'm noticing that, that things that used to be, and I realize, getting old, it happens to us all, but it's just... I'm noticing that there are things that, that are actually causing me, like, not just stiffness, but, like, right. pain. So that I want to avoid that kind of pain from doing the things that I love doing, so we'll get help from a trainer. But before we do all that, we have to do this. Now, Tristan, as far as single notes go in music, is there any note more recognizable than the beginning of this just that
1: it, it would be up there with uh, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony for sure, um, and it'd be up there with a lot of those kind of classical pieces, but one of the most recognizable pieces in the world. Just as far as a single note.
0: Just yeah, that, you know what? Just that it's, introductory note. I, yeah, I think that could be it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I was getting at. And the reason why, it's the Phantom of the Opera. On of the course. Opera, <laughs> you didn't know it. <laughs> it's the Phantom of the Opera. It starts tonight and runs until September 3rd at the Centennial Concert Hall. And we are joined by a member of the cast. We have live on the phone with us, Trista Moldovan. Trista, did I say your name correctly?
2: It's uh, Moldovan. Moldovan. It's, it's totally fine. I, tough
3: one.
0: I asked Savannah, our producer, how to pronounce your name, and then I promptly forgot, uh, well, after I got flustered <laughs> with all the squeaky chair business, so my apologies.
3: Right. So, Understandable. Understandable.
0: So you are playing... Carlotta Giudicelli?
2: Correct. That's oh. another Yeah, that's another tough one. Carlotta Giudicelli.
0: Giudicelli. Who is Carlotta Giudicelli?
2: Yes. Uh, Carlotta is the diva of the Paris Opera House, the reigning diva for five seasons. Uh, the phantom sort of does some not-so-nice things to elbow her into the wings and uh, make room for Christine Daae, uh, the leading lady of Fano of the Opera. And Carlotta is none too happy about it.
0: So for those who are unaware, maybe give us a snapshot of what this show is, The Phantom of the Opera.
2: Uh, it's uh, based on a book by Gaston Leroux, and it's about a disfigured musical genius who lives in the catacombs of the Paris Opera House. He falls in love with a ballet dancer, Christine Daae, and uh, and gives her uh, singing lessons, and um, wants her to be the 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 reigning diva of the paris opera house and he'll he'll do anything um, to make that happen. Uh, Christine falls in love with a childhood friend and um yeah, there's a there's a good old-fashioned love triangle in it and lots of beautiful music, fire, beautiful costumes. It's there's something for everyone in in the show.
1: Now, Phantom of the Opera is probably the most famous musical on this entire planet. Um, and I've heard in terms of iterations, it's been done countless times before, and yet everything I've heard regarding this particular uh, version, if you will, this particular production is that it is visually spectacular. So uh, what differentiates this iteration compared to previous performances?
2: Well, we had, uh, we called it the Brilliant Original, which opened on Broadway over, I think it's almost 30 years. I think in January they're about to c- uh, celebrate their 30th anniversary which I, I cannot wrap my head around it's just simply amazing um, this version is a different staging of um, of the same show and um, the reason why they wanted to restage this is um, to utilize the technology that's developed over the last 30 years and um, so it's the, same, it's the same story, of course, the same beautiful music by Andrew Lloyd Webber, but it's, um, it's different staging. It does utilize the same costumes, um, uh, different lighting elements, um, and it sort of fleshes out. It's um, a different iteration in that it, it fleshes out the characters a little bit more. So it's a good supplement if you, if you love the story and if you love the music.
0: So this production of Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical uh, from Cameron McIntosh, who is Cameron McIntosh?
2: (laughs) Cameron McIntosh is, I would say, arguably the most uh, famous producer of musical theater of all time. Um, He has, uh, he's, I mean, his resume is is astounding. And, um, he is the one that developed Phantom of the Opera 30 years ago and, and it it continues to run. It's still, um, near and dear to his heart. Um, so this one is the, uh, the North American tour that, uh, that he's restaged.
0: Now you have, uh, you've done Phantom of the Opera on Broadway and you're doing this touring show. What are some of the differences between doing a touring show versus one that's got a home base?
2: Uh, well, I'm, I'm based in New York City. I live in Brooklyn. And it is really nice to be able to go to work and then come home and live your life. Um, I sort of, and my husband would hate me for saying this, but prefer the touring life because you have this wonderful camaraderie um, of all of your coworkers. You eat with them, you work with them, um, you room with them a lot on the road. So there's this this family uh, that you have that you, you don't necessarily, you, you have it on Broadway, but you have it. It's, it's not as um, it's not as prevalent on Broadway as it is, as it is on the road. So I, I love that. I love that connection that you have with your coworkers. What,
1: what is it like being part of a uh, a production that has such a following and such a reputation? You mentioned earlier that you can't quite wrap your head around that it's been on Broadway for 30 years as a performer, how does it feel to be part of something so grand?
2: <laughs> it's um, it really has been a dream come true. It's a massive, massive production. This is one of the biggest tours that's out there. And when it was touring before, um, when the Bridge brilliant original was touring before, it also was um, was
4: uh,
2: one of the most uh, spectacular, elaborate tours, Broadway tours that was out there. So to be able to be part of be part of the show in two different iterations has been such an amazing, such an amazing blessing. And um, I used to listen to the double cassette tape of Phantom of the Opera growing up and they used to dance around the living room and sing to it. So it's, it's been on my blood for a long time. And um, I'm really lucky that it's been a part of my career for, oh my gosh, it's, it's almost been going on 10 years, 10 years. I will have been a part of Phantom of the Opera with time off, but um, yeah, 10 years.
0: Phantom of the Opera begins tonight in Winnipeg. It runs through September 3rd at the Centennial Concert Hall. Our guest is Trista Moldovan. Did I get it right that time?
5: Yeah, you got it. (laughs)
0: I'm I'm all worried that I I keep getting mixed up. No, it's just that I, you know, like I said, I, I, I got myself all mixed up at the beginning, and now I'm panicking about it. Trista, I remember going to see the Phantom in Toronto in 1999. As it was getting to ready, oh, I it was getting ready, ready to wrap up its run at the Pantages Theater there, and I was skeptical at first. I was like, twenty-two years old, and I was doing that kind of typical guy thing. Oh, I'm not into musicals, and I had, no, <laughs> I had nothing against live theater, right. but I wasn't right. sure about musicals. But from the moment that first note hit, and the chandelier erupts from underneath the tarp on the stage and gets pulled up to the ceiling. I just had this like tidal wave of adrenaline kind of wash over me and I was hooked. It was just, it was incredible. So what is it about live musical theater that has that impact on us kind of where it hits us like right down to our soul?
6: Yeah.
2: Well, that's, that's a perfect way to put it. There's a, that tidal wave of of adrenaline that you don't get watching a movie Uh, when you watch a live performance. It's ephemeral. It's never going to be, Exactly like that. So you're sharing that with the audience and you're sharing it's it's very um, it, you can feel it pounding in your chest, the music and um, you're you're never going to see it that way again. So um, it's it, it, there's nothing like seeing a live performance.
1: What is the reaction like when you go touring uh, around North America and, and maybe even around the world? Is it always, because we always hear about how people love seeing the Phantom of the Opera, doesn't matter what iteration or what version it is, is that a pretty universal reaction where people are always just in awe whenever you show up, wherever it may be?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's um, <laughs> as far as being uh, an actor, it's it's very validating because everyone's, everyone's heard of Phantom. Um, I think what resonates with people is—I forget who said this quote—but everyone loves everyone loves a love story, and it's a beautiful love story with not necessarily a happy ending. So there's that there is that pang that you feel at the end, and I I think it really resonates with people. It resonates with people who who felt that longing before, and you know you put put on top of that like the beautiful music and the sets and the pyrotechnics and, and everything. It's just, um, it's a wonderful combination.
0: Do you ever have days where you feel like, you know, I, I don't feel like going to work today?
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I wouldn't say I don't feel like going to work, but there are days when you're tired. It's um, especially with traveling from city to city. Uh, it is, it's hard. We're dealing with, you know, different Um, different allergies in every city and, and, you know, getting settled in for the time that we're there. So I wouldn't say that I don't want to go to work, but there are days when I'm tired. Um, And that's when, that's when your training comes in. That's when, um, you know, I I like to say that I, before I started the show, I I trained above what was, what I knew was going to be uh, required of me. So you have a little bit more endurance Um, And that's, that's when that, when you're tired, that's when that kicks in.
1: What would you say to people who've never seen uh, the musical Phantom of the Opera, uh, the musical version at least, and uh, who are kind of on the fence about going, uh, what would be your best pitch to those, to those people?
2: (laughs) I'd say drink the (laughs) Kool-Aid. A billion, a billion people can't be wrong. It's um, like I said before, there's something for everyone in it. And there's that, there's a beautiful, beautiful love story um, the music of Andrew Lloyd Webber is absolutely infectious, and um, I, I must say this this cast is is absolutely incredible. Derek Davis and Ava Tavares are um, a couple of the best. They're they're um, uh, they're incredible, and they they do the score so much justice. So I would say um, definitely bring bring your girlfriends. It's a great bring your girlfriend bring your bring your wife. It's a great date night. Um, and uh, I, what I love about uh, meeting people at the stage door is that they're, they're a lot like you. They, they come sort of like hesitantly, and then they're hooked. They're hooked for life, and they'll come back and see it five or six more times.
0: It's, it's incredible. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it this Friday. Trista Moldovan, thank you so much for joining us to tell us about Phantom of the Opera. We appreciate it, and uh, break a leg.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having
0: me. All right. Trista Moldovan playing Carlotta Giudicelli at the Phantom of the Opera, which opens tonight at the Centennial Concert Hall. It runs through September 3rd. Tickets at ticketmaster.ca. Welcomed by Broadway across Canada. And like I said, I saw this in Toronto in 1999. It was spectacular, and I'm so excited to see it again this upcoming Friday. Can't recommend it enough. Just as far as spectacle goes, you don't even have to like musicals. Just go for the spectacle of Mm -hmm. it. It's sensational. And we got to pause and have a look at your forecast. And then after that, we're going to switch gears and talk about perception as it pertains to the city of Winnipeg and crime in our great city. Your forecast up next.
1: Tristan Field Jones in for Greg Mackling along with Brett McGarry on this Wednesday afternoon as we trudge along through the middle of the week. Uh, a survey by Main Street. Uh, do, 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 hang on, where am I have it? Here we go. Main Street Research. Uh, was recently conducted about the perception of crime across major cities in Canada. Simply put, they asked Canadians from coast to coast how you feel about uh, cities, major cities, I believe the 15 largest in Canada. And uh, they they asked people about their perception. Now, Winnipeg, for the second year in a row, Winnipeg ended up being at the bottom of the list. Most Canadians thought we were the most dangerous city of the major cities. We were the most dangerous city out there. Even though... Granted, we do have a high crime rate and we do have issues, but overall, uh, our violent crime rate and our crime severity index are number four or number five, depending on how you look at it. So we're not at the very top of the list. So figured I'd, uh, uh, we have a few minutes here, I figured I'd uh, uh, reach out to Stefano Grande with the Downtown Winnipeg Biz regarding this topic i know at the biz they've been doing a lot to tackle perception at least downtown but really this is even larger than a downtown conversation because the similar tactics can be applied for winnipeg as a whole but of course you can't separate you know winnipeg and downtown from each other so stefano uh first of all let's let's just start off with some thoughts on this now i realize that this is again a a winnipeg-wide survey but ultimately it would apply to any neighborhood within the city so just as a citizen how does a survey like this make you feel
7: well, yeah, my first instinct is uh, it's you know it's unfortunate where you know where, where we rank among among the uh, national cities across Canada, uh, but not really surprising. Um, although it, what's interesting though is over the last you know 10 to 15 years. Uh, nationally, crime has been decreasing. So, not only in our downtown, in our city, but nationally, crime has been decreasing. Statistically, uh, there's less crime in Canada today than there uh, there, is, you know, there was ten years ago. But yet, perceptions are. Are moving in the, the opposite direction, and, and so, but we're not surprised because we actually uh, did a survey of over 2,000 Winnipegers last year on the street, and we really drilled down on what does that mean, what does perceptions mean, and and uh, the majority of people that we spoke to were really in our neighborhood at least were really uh, aware that crime is is not the biggest issue, but. The challenges that we see in our neighborhoods, whether it's uh, poverty or homelessness, uh, addictions, mental health, and how that manifests itself into, you know, in social disorder or uh, other crimes related to drugs. Uh, I think that, that's the challenge that I believe uh, we see in our downtown that we're responding to today in a, in a collaborative manner with Winnipeg Police Services, our stakeholders, uh, and our business community.
1: Stefano, how are you tackling the perception of crime? Because, um, I mean, I think a lot of people, if if we were to say, well, everything's okay, everything's perfect in downtown, I don't know if that's a message that would necessarily resonate with a lot of people. So how are you taking sort of a, a, a ground level approach to this, to saying, hey, things aren't as bad as you might
0: think?
7: Well, you know, we, we took this feedback from the community and uh, over the last number of years, we've been, uh, particularly the last 12 months, we've been working with Winnipeg Police Services. And, and they're, you know, they're looking at uh, how to change perceptions as well. So they've rolled out a new strategy called Centerline, which is a concentration of resources, a concentration of policing resources in, in specific areas of our downtown where those challenges exist. So more feet on the street. Uh, is is always uh, a, a good approach to managing that issue. I think ourselves as a business community, we sort of really ramped up uh, the social side of things. Uh, we have now eight outreach workers uh, and I just reviewed our, our, our stats from the work that our outreach workers that we've had over 3,000 interventions uh, working with uh, people in the street who are struggling uh, with mental health, with addictions, uh, with challenges, uh, making those connections. Back to those social services agencies that are working so hard. Uh, we've uh, also created a downtown security network over the last few years and increased the number of members. And so the number of security providers talking to each other and sharing information. Uh, is uh, is at a at a high in our in our neighborhood in our downtown and, and these are some of the tactics that we're using in a collaborative manner to tackle those perceptions that that we have heard from from Winnipeggers and i think uh, the neighborhood groups across the city are doing their own thing even even locally where where i live out, out in the burps, we've had the unfortunate rash of car break-ins and and so over the last few months Stefano i hate to interrupt you
0: Stefano i'm really sorry to <laughs> abruptly interrupt you like this i hate to do this no but, problem, no problem. Problem. We are. Uh, we got a pause for news. Can you uh, hold with us for a few minutes? Absolutely. All right. Stand by, Stefano Grande. I this is live radio. Sometimes yeah. you just gotta. You just gotta be a bull in a china no, shop. No, and I
1: know Stefano's passionate about this, so I was looking for the pause. But anyway, and again, we will accept your feedback. Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Feel free to text us. Would love to get your thoughts. Uh, regarding uh, perception in Winnipeg. Perception versus reality. Are we too harsh on yourselves, or do you think it's really that bad out there? 204-780-6868.
0: Brad McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones. We are talking about this poll from Main Street Research that says that 55% of Canadians say that they consider Winnipeg either somewhat or very unsafe, and then perceptions of Winnipeg and Manitoba are not better, with... 59% of Manitobans saying Winnipeg is not safe. We were talking with Stefano Grande from downtown Winnipeg biz. We had to cut him off rather rather rudely, unfortunately. Sometimes it's the only way you can do it in a live radio environment. Um, and I, off the air, I just quickly recorded one final thought from Stefano because he had to run off to a meeting. So we just asked him quite simply, how do we change this perception
7: that's an interesting question. I, I don't have the answer to that. Uh, other than getting involved, uh, I was, as I was saying, if there's challenges in your neighborhood, whether it's downtown or East St. Paul or East Colonia, get involved, get engaged, advocate for... You know, advocate for more resources, whether it's policing or whether it's uh, social service and agencies that are doing some great work. I think too, we're, we're living in a different era. Uh, you know, when I was, you know, 10 years old, I used to bike around everywhere. My parents, you know, had no safety concerns. And, and today, with my 10-year-old, I have those concerns. And I think, I think that that the discussion of safety is so penetrated in uh, in everyday media and social media, and so sometimes it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so. Uh, you know, We need to remind ourselves that we live in an incredible country. Uh, we have so many positive things that are occurring, so many groups that are working hard to improve our communities every day. And, and so get involved and, uh, and, and and take things with a grain of salt.
0: Stefano Grande with downtown Winnipeg Biz. Just got to quickly mention there's a crash. Keniston and Taylor, some emergency crews in the middle of the intersection blocking traffic. Caller says southbound Route 90 will be interrupted. Once again, keniston and Taylor, some emergency crews in the middle of the intersection blocking traffic. Caller says southbound Route 90 will be interrupted. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. We want your feedback on this crime rate, crime severity index poll from Main Street Research.
1: I think it's very interesting to say we're already getting some reaction here from our uh from our listeners and I think it's really interesting how the perception and the reality don't necessarily add up. I think it's important, especially nowadays, in the era of social media, in the era of information and disinformation, that authorities and people uh in a position of power, essentially, we need to say, yes, we've absolutely got a crime problem downtown. And yes, we absolutely have an issue with perception. Because regardless of the crime rate or not, I mean, Toronto on this list was considered, I believe was just slightly uh, below Winnipeg, was second place for least unsafe city in Canada, in spite of the fact that their crime rate is far lower than ours. So I think... Regardless if it's a a perception or if it's a reality, we need to address this head on and say there's a problem here and we need to figure out a way to fix it. And I think that, uh, you know, and and Stefano Grande was was mentioning some uh, initiatives that they're doing down there, but ultimately being open and being honest about this problem, be it perception or reality, is the way to go, especially if you're a politician
0: or especially if you're one of those people in a position of power. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. You can also text us at that number, or you can email us, tristan at cjob.com, brett at cjob.com. We have Kevin on the line at 204-780-6868. Kevin, thank you for your call. Uh, What do you have to say about this?
8: Uh, Pleasure to hear your voice again, uh, Brett, and uh, thank you for taking my call. Always a pleasure. Um, What we're doing is we're looking at statistics per capita get rid of that we're not going by statistics statistics are going by a demographic the demographic is looking for those statistics to show and prove you can't go by that if you've ever been to toronto go to jane and finch go to the western area go out to vancouver go to hastings and all that other stuff these cities have more problems than us and a higher crime rate than anything else and going by per capita you can't do that anymore city our city here is a great place and what we got to do is have more people out on the streets, a little bit more police officers in those bad areas to tame those crime areas down. Every area in this city has crime. Every area has bad apples and people do bad things. But if you have people out on the streets, change the attitude a little bit, have more uh, police officers walking about or on bikes, or even the Bear Clan Patrol, what they do going out in the north end, This is what we need. That will calm it down a little bit, but you can't take it all away. It's always going to be here. But what we can do is try to make the city better by putting things out there for people to spot crime, to (laughs) taper it down a little bit. People aren't going to start doing crimes if people are standing on the street watching you.
1: Kevin, I'm curious uh, to to hear your rationale behind why you think we shouldn't use the statistics or the per capita. uh, Why do you have an issue with the way those crime stats are collected?
8: Well, here's the thing. You're going by statistics. When you're looking for statistics and you have these groups going out looking for it, they're looking for that demographic. They're looking for the people that they want to show that statistic. So you can't go by that. You're grabbing all these people. What about all the other people that you're not? So they're grabbing the statistics, bringing it to to us here in the public, saying these are the people saying this. Well, what about all the other people that outweigh that? We have how many people here? We have how many crimes going throughout the day? Don't look at, well, we have this many people, and this many people are doing crimes. Show the crimes. Show what the facts are. Not statistics. Go by fact. Now, you go by facts, you compare it to Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, I can guarantee you, besides Regina, we have probably the lowest crime rate in this country. Fact. Not statistic, but fact. And we have a lot more good people here in the city and province than we do back.
0: All right, Kevin, thank you very much for the feedback. We appreciate uh, your passion and your insight. And now uh, you listen to 680-CJOB. Let's turn next to Barbara at 204-780-6868. Hey, Barbara, what do you think about this?
5: Well, well, what I think is, is that the crime rate in Winnipeg, like, for instance, the homeless people, the people that are out there drunk and stuff, they're low to deal with. I've um, I came from Regina. I lived in Saskatoon and Prince Albert, and mostly all the bathrooms there are blacked out because of needles, the needle use, the drug use. And here we have um, good doctors, hospitals. Winnipeg is big city. It's all spread out. There's resources. And, you know, I just think that it's wonderful to live in. In in Saskatoon and Prince Albert, if you go there, every five minutes you're interrupted by your walk. Do you have any spare change? And these things. And I think it's all basically the approach, how to uh, handle the report approach, you know, when when somebody approaches you. Like, I'm an AT, and when somebody comes up to me drunk, you know, I just say, hey, how's it going? You know, those things, and I think it's all about approach, you know?
0: All right, Barbara, thank you for the feedback at 204-780-6868. Let's turn next to Mary. Mary, what do you think?
4: Well... I was somewhat confused by the fellow's discussion on statistics versus facts. Was this per capita that the research was done?
0: The research was done. Hang on a second here. Let me just pull this up. Uh,
4: I
1: I, I was just going to say, I think it's important to note, Mary, that just in case there is some confusion, the Main Street poll is basing, uh, uh, is sort of basing this off of, crime statistics obtained by Stats Canada and reported by the Winnipeg Police Service. But what they're actually asking the public is perception. They're not asking about facts, they're not asking about anything. They're they're talking to Canadians from across, from coast to coast, saying, when we say Winnipeg, do you feel safe?
4: So it's based on per capita and then contrasting that with public opinion.
1: Yes, yeah, you could say that.
4: Okay, well... Usually, with Stats Canada, they review at least thirty cities. It's not like Winnipeg is twenty-nine. You know, Winnipeg is number four. So I would think most people would would, you know, think that's uh, quite high.
0: I think that Winnipeg Winnipeg has the fifth highest crime rate of fifteen major Canadian cities. I think that's high. Yep, absolutely. Yeah,
4: yeah, and I mean, I would, I would think their perception matches the reality. And certainly when you're on the street and uh, you see, you know, assaults going on or you hear people screaming or uh, just this weekend, wasn't there three or four unsolved murders?
1: Uh, that, I'm not. Familiar. I'd have to take a look at our crime file. Yeah, I, I don't.
0: I was working on Saturday. We didn't have anything uh, regarding homicides on uh, Saturday. At the very least, I don't recall there being anything on Sunday either. So
4: yeah. Well, in any event, you know, certain uh, figureheads can talk about how safe the city uh, is non end. But I mean, people know what the reality. Is. They see what the statistics are, and it's kind of irrelevant what Steph, Stefano Grande has to say.
0: Mary, thank you for the call at 204-780-6868. And we want to take more of your calls. We have Terry, Jim, and Bob all waiting on deck at 204-780-6868. Once again, we're talking about this poll from Main Street Research that says that Canadians think that Winnipeg is the least safest city, the most unsafe city in Canada, and we want to know what you think of that. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. You can also text us at that number, we'll have a look at your forecast. Coming up next, Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones in for Greg Mackling. We're talking about this new poll by Main Street Research and Post Media, which suggests that Canadians feel the least safe in Winnipeg, and many Winnipeggers as well feel unsafe in our city uh the winnipeg does point out that winnipeg has the fifth highest crime rate of 15 major canadian cities but winnipeg was ranked at the bottom of the list as far as perception goes retaining retaining to safety in this city Mm -hmm. bob has been waiting the longest so we'll go to bob and then jim is up next so let's start with you bob at 204-780-6868 what do you have to say
6: yeah very interesting discussion the 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 whole issue around paradigms and of course the role of of statistics and facts within shaping that paradigm there's a great parable where where uh, a family's moving into the village and there's a a wise elder outside the gate of the village and the family says uh, says to the wise elder you know we're moving into this village what's it like and the elder says what's the village like you're coming from? And they say, well, it was terrible. It was full of crime and people cheating and stealing from each other, and we were totally unsafe. And the elder says, well, this village is the same. Another family comes up and asks the elder the same question, except this time their answer is different. They, they They come from a village where everybody helped each other, supported each other, were positive, dealt with crises, and he, the elder pauses and says well this village is the same it's a profound parable and uh, for for anyone that's just basing their opinion inside winnipeg or outside winnipeg just on raw data without that experience of perception and i'll use myself as an example i moved to winnipeg 35 years ago raised my family here and I've never felt unsafe in this city. And I've worked inner city. I've worked in inner city programs. I've worked with high-risk individuals. So that's my perception. And and so I have a very positive paradigm about this city. Someone else who maybe, you know, River Heights, for example, they're sick and tired of having their windows smashed out of their vehicle. So their perception is being painted by that personal experience.
0: Bob, thank you for the call. We very much appreciate that. Fabulous. And your patience. Yeah. Jim has been waiting patiently as well. Let's go to you next, Jim. What do you have to say?
9: Well, hello. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I guess I would agree that it's definitely mostly perception. Uh, I found that last that last caller kind of interesting. Uh, but um, depends what, the, and I wish they would say what time of day, because I feel totally safe going downtown Winnipeg in the daytime but after when I come out of a Jets game and I'm heading to my parked car and if I'm not with a group of people I try to get with a group of people you know I don't want to turn around a dark corner just me and my wife and nobody else is around you know those kind of things I think about but in the middle of the day you know I could be down there with my kids I, I feel relatively safe now relatively safe because I know that You're always going to be, in Winnipeg, you're always going to be accosted by a street beggar or a red light beggar somewhere along the way. That's just, that's reality. But it's perception in the sense that I perceive it to be unsafe for the most part because I've been down there enough and been seen enough. And I've worked at a few places like Rossbrook House in the past and see some of the things that go on. A lot of good, but I mean, we all know a lot of bad happens too. So, you know, it, it's definitely about your, your perception of it, but I also think that along with uh, the problem, I think, in Winnipeg is we have so many street people in Winnipeg, uh, and that is, that's a tragedy in and of itself, and we reach out to help these street people, but we really don't help them with anything other than maybe feeding them, giving them a little bit of clothing. What they really need is something to do, somewhere to go, maybe work uh work fair was oh, i thought was a great idea maybe job training of some type just feeding them giving them clothes you're 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 not really helping that person all that much you're helping them immediately but you're not helping them long term
0: all right thank you so much for the call jim we appreciate the feedback at 204-780-6868 we'll return next to paul who has also been waiting patiently what do you think of all this paul
10: uh, i'm just calling to uh Talk about that stat that the lady was saying—we got three unsolved murders. I—I'd I'd heard that over the weekend. Winnipeg had 20 murders in the year, and out of those 23, of them were unsolved. Okay. So the police are doing a good record, I think, fairly good at solving the rec- solving the murders. But uh, you know, I was walking around in uh, down by James and Princess and King and taking pictures actually of Chinatown, because I was in China for 10 years. And I felt less secure there walking around with my iPad, taking pictures, than I was at any time in China. And they don't have lights on the street in, in very many cities. Uh, it's dark. And uh, I never felt uncomfortable in China like I did at midday, walking around Chinatown here in Winnipeg.
0: Yeah, and Paul, you know that that actually reminds me of a story where last year, I think it was last year. I often go for walks at night. I live uh, sort of, uh, kind of around the Corden Village, and I was walking up Wellington Crescent, uh, not uh, uh, sort of heading towards Osborne. And uh, I think this was around ten thirty at night, and there are a couple of young guys across the street. I want to, I would say, want to think they were maybe. Who knows it could have been 15 to 20 years old and they started running across the street and then I realized that they were running towards me and they weren't turning their direction and I actually had to put up my I had to put up my Dukes because I thought I thought it was about to go down and they ran right up to me and then they they switched gears at the last second and uh, believe me, every ever, ever since then, I'm all constantly on my guard. No matter where I am, if I'm out at night, I'm always looking over my shoulder. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you, Paul. Appreciate it, Paul. Well, we've got about one minute left. Let's quickly take Stephen. Hey, Stephen, what do you have to say?
9: You know, it's funny that they keep
8: talking about all the dangers in Winnipeg. We were in Vancouver last year, and while Vancouver is beautiful, we were staying on Davies Street at the Sandman. We got three blocks over, and I'll tell you, it was the night of the living dead. How's that? Um, the the, the addicts, the people lying on the street, the people begging. And I, and I thought to myself, you know, everybody talks about how beautiful Vancouver is, and it is. They never talk about this. Winnipeggers love to run their own city down. They love to talk about everything that's bad. It's the bad weather. It's the mosquitoes. It's just really, there's so many great things for them to talk about. And this is this is really what they want to spend their time talking about.
0: Stephen, that's a great point to close the hour. Thank you so much. We appreciate it.
1: And he's not wrong about that too, because the downtown east side, that particular neighborhood of Vancouver, I believe, is the poorest neighborhood in Canada and also has some of the highest rates of uh, overdoses and crimes as well downtown East Side um yeah it's he makes a great point that Vancouver certainly has a lot of issues to deal with and especially at the Forefront of this opioid crisis they've really seen the the
0: the, the they've really borne the brunt of that Tristan Field Jones has global news at two o'clock coming up for you next
1: Tristan Field Jones in with Brett McGarry on this Wednesday afternoon as we get you into as we trudge along, I should say, in the middle of the week. And, uh, Brett, I want to ask you a question here uh, before we introduce our next guest. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to the answer. Um, so, when
0: life brings you down, uh, what do you do? I try to, uh, to take solace uh, with my friends. Right. You don't bawl your eyes out or... You know, sit in the corner. Sometimes. Right. Every so often, a good cry is good for the soul.
1: See, I think that's what I would do too in that circumstance. If things go down, I just think, well, life sucks and I get on with it. Not our next guest, though. Our next guest, I think, is smarter than you and I when it comes to (laughs) tackling life's problems. Her name is Mary Lowen, founder of Anna Magazine. But when her life was a bit topsy-turvy, instead of feeling sorry for herself, she decided to do something. So... Uh, Mary, we'll get to that first in a second. But first of all, your name is not spelled M-A-R-Y.
11: <laughs> Why is that? Um, well, <laughs> ooh, nice question. Um, well, I will now truthfully say that, you know, I, my creative journey started probably when I was about four years old. And I insisted that my parents change my name to be spelled with an I rather than a Y. Because I, I guess I just didn't want to be... If I could use the word ordinary, maybe, I don't know, sure. <laughs> but I wanted it to be different. <laughs> so
1: let's, before we get on to, to Anna Magazine here, let's talk about the foundation of that. So you went through some trouble uh, several years ago when it came to this and what did you decide to do? Because I think there are a lot of people out there who face difficulties in life and sometimes they just want to sit back and feel sorry for themselves or do nothing. You took a very different approach. So take us back to that moment in your life and what you did. Okay.
11: Sure. Yeah, thank you. Um, I haven't actually talked about this publicly very much because I think nowadays, um, if I could use the big word divorce, I think more and more people maybe are taking that road, which I would say please definitely reconsider. It's, you know, it's a it's a big one. Um, but um it kind of happened to me and I had a young child and yes, I did a lot of crying and it was a dark time. Um and um yeah, but you know, I think that sometimes through our biggest struggles, your biggest change can happen. And so I <laughs> I decided, well, you know, I'm kind of at this really low point in my life. So I thought, you know, if I'm going to change any time, it's going to be now. And um, just through reading a lot of, you know, spiritual, you know, quotes and stories and messages and positive stories and, you know, hearing, reading about other people's maybe business successes, I had always, you know, had dreamed of starting my own business or doing my own thing. And um yeah, I had I just suddenly quit my job. I had done my CMA degree. I was almost done with that and worked at uh, James Richardson International. If you can imagine, I worked in grain accounting. <laughs> Whatever. Um, and we're,
0: yeah. <laughs> it wasn't your cup of tea.
11: Well, I mean, you know, I always feel, I feel like whatever I did, I threw myself into. And I remember like I was working on financial statements and I, I owned them and I did love that, but I did always feel like there was sort of something missing, uh, you know, Monday, the dread of going to work and I didn't want that anymore. <laughs> and um, so I just abruptly uh, quit my job and I have a young child and I think people thought I'd lost my mind. And um, and then I did a little bit of job uh, like hopping and landed uh, actually working with Hillary Druxman, who coincidentally I now work with in a bigger way, but uh, at the time. And one day she just said to me, um, I have I guess I've been talking to her about menu planning and she would say, oh, I've got people coming for the weekend, you know, what should I make? And so I'd sketch a little menu for her and not thinking I was a great cook or anything. <laughs> And I remember her saying to me one day, you know, Mary, just start something. And I don't know, words are very powerful. And I was mm-hmm. like, start something. Okay. And so, you know, and then here I am, I have a young daughter and I so badly wanted my life to, you know, get back to some sort of normal because you go through big transition when that happens, when you go through a divorce And um, one day I cut Isabella as my daughter, who's now 20, (laughs) so a long time ago, but Mm -hmm. I cut her toast into the shape of a heart. And I know that sounds kind of silly, but I just sort of saw her face light up and, and I thought, you know, it's really that simple to make somebody's day special. And that was where... And then through my own transformation, realizing that, you know, it's really up to me to um, decide what my day is going to be like today. Like, I want to have a beautiful, happy life. And so I have to make those choices rather than, you know, depending on other people to make those ch- choices for me. And um, and then, <laughs> I know, it's kind of crazy. I look at that magazine now and I think, how did that all Um, So uh, I thought, well, I I think I'm a pretty good cook, and I think that we should marry that with some positive messaging. And Mm -hmm. through a lot of creative process, it just kind of came about, and it became Anna, named after my mom, who is an amazing homemaker. So I thought, why don't we celebrate the homemaker's role because don't we all want toast cut in the shape of a heart (laughs) you know I mean that's simple but I mean what's better than coming home to a beautiful meal and someone's cooked something nice for you I mean I, I don't know there's much more many more nicer things than that and so I thought I think we really have something to build on here much more than just recipes and you know I was thinking okay like I think it was around the time of 9-11 and I had read some really beautiful stories maybe in the New York Times about, uh, you know, people, obviously, we were very emotional and people were kind of becoming more spiritual. And And I thought, oh, I would love a writer like that. Like, how do I get that? <laughs> and, of course, I couldn't find any or maybe afford. And so then I just started writing from my heart and, uh, and then I became a writer. And so it's kind of crazy, but I think it just was meant to be. And so... That's my long answer, and so no, became, that's fine. Yeah. yeah.
1: Now, and and <laughs> I I wonder when you mentioned some of your colleagues or some of the people around you were wondering if they if you if you were wondering if they thought you were crazy. Yes. Did that ever did that ever cross your mind too? Did that you ever step back and think, what am I doing here?
11: Well, of course, yes, absolutely. I think that when you do something like bold like that, I think there's like forces it seems in the universe that are trying to hold you back. Like I think. And so you have to learn a lot of things to kind of, you know, to stand boldly, especially, you know, maybe when you're in a crowd of friends or something. I mean, how do you say to your friends, oh, hi, so I'm going to start a to start a national magazine <laughs> about, you know, food and inspiration. So I sort of had to learn a lot of things, you know, in order to allow it to move forward.
0: You so. mentioned, uh, now I want to continue to talk about this, this magazine. It's really a lovely magazine. Uh, Thank you. It, it, but you, you mentioned divorce and you said it's it's a major undertaking and you, I think you said something along the lines of, I'd recommend thinking about it long yes, and hard. I would. What, why?
11: Well, because like, it's one of those things that, um, <clears throat> I just recently had a, a very, uh, some very good friends of mine, they <clears throat> lost their son, which was very, very tragic. And a lot of people in Winnipeg know about it. It's just kind of happening right now. And it's a, a very, very dark time. And I was thinking through, you know, 20 years ago, what happened to me when suddenly one day you come home and this person, you know, who we're, we're in a very good place now. But at the time, it's like they've made a decision which is going to alter your entire life. It hurts you financially. It, you know, separates you from your, your family. It, you know, uh, it... Um, it it, uh, it. allows you to perhaps not be invited maybe to parties with your friends. I mean, it just like changes absolutely everything. It's like the carpet's being pulled out from under you and suddenly you're in a lawyer's office and you're discussing, you know, money and visitation and those crazy terms. I just think the whole thing is crazy. I, I don't know. <laughs> and, and, you know, eventually you really have to learn. I mean, in some cases I understand that it needs to happen, but I think that, you know, eventually whatever, like life... Uh, you know, situations, celebrations, marriages, m- perhaps even funerals, you know, they'll come up and you have to be together with that person and you're forced to like, you know, become a family again, really, I think. And so I just think that it, I think you should really consider that and, you know, try to, um, you know, explore all angles of uh, of trying to make that work when you have a family.
0: Appreciate the candor. Thank you for mm-hmm. uh, answering that. I just wanted to Uh, circle back to that for a moment. Mary Lowen is our guest. She is the founder of Anna Magazine and it's uh, the subtitle it's Anna Magazine Make Every Day Special. So we're going to pause and look at the forecast and then we'll talk a bit more about the magazine as it makes its transition to the digital media and we'll find out as well why we should make every day special.
1: Forget special. This is delicious. I mean, holy moly.
0: (laughs) Some of the covers of these magazines are making me regret the uh, the, the poor (laughs) lunch that i brought to work so we'll continue our chat with mary lowen after your forecast up next tristan field jones with you and brett mcgarry on this wednesday
1: afternoon we're joined by mary lowen founder of anna magazine she in the last segment told us about how life was in turmoil she was going through a divorce and she figured one day you know what let's just start over quit her job and founded Anna Magazine, and Brett and I were just making comments about. And I know if Brett had a had a haphazard and frankly crappy lunch, uh, mine's probably even worse because I microwave everything I eat for lunch.
0: I had a leftover peanut butter sandwich Aww. like that that I made a couple of days ago. Oh, uh, <laughs> you know what? Actually, you've got me beat there. I think this time.
1: But um, what? Just the start at the basics. What is Anna Magazine?
11: Um. Well, um, Anna Magazine is um, a cookbook-style magazine with uh, inspiring quotes and stories, um, beautiful photography, gorgeous design. <laughs> uh, it's kind of my elevator pitch, but um, it's I It's a very think, good
0: pitch. It's, <laughs> it's true. It's a really nice publication.
11: Yeah, and you know, like people always say, like, who's your reader? And I... Uh, you know, I mean, you guys are appreciating it right now, and I wouldn't have ever, you know, said that you're necessarily my uh, target reader, but, uh, you know, when you feel it, it sort of has a humble, nice feeling to it, and it's supposed to encourage you to get into the kitchen and cook beautiful food for people you love and, you know, be a good person and um, and just, you know, always look to be better, you know? You guys have a nice sign in the hallway that, that says that, so we were just talking about the break and you were saying that you felt like everybody wants to do that at some point, right? It's like, you know, change my whole life and do something different. And I think that we all need to do that. I think we need to continue to change and to continue to grow. Like um, my 20-year-old daughter is moving out on Saturday. And yes, I could like lay down and cry because she's also one of my best friends (laughs) and I love living with her. Um, But, uh, you know, I want that for her. I want her to keep moving. I don't want her to be bored and sit back, you know, so...
0: So this magazine—it's been uh, print in print now for ten years. Yes. So you—you're uh, making the transition from print to digital. Yes. Or you have. We have, yes. So no more print. No more print. Does no. does that make you sad at all? Because it's such a nice well, print, <laughs> printed publication. I
11: know it is. I know. Um, no, it doesn't make me sad because I think that everything has a time, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it's like Seinfeld had to end eventually.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right.
11: <laughs> how I look at it as now sad but as it makes us all feel. <laughs> I know exactly but you know like that you can you can buy these editions which are not you know dated so they're pretty timeless if you really want to we do still have some stock but um you know it was a very difficult transition because it wasn't like I made that choice one day that you know we're not going to print anymore it's like you're caught on this treadmill of, you know, advertisers and revenues and like content and proofing. And oh, like it was just, I think actually, to be honest, I had a meltdown. Really? (laughs) Yeah. No, it was so stressful. And I felt like I was sort of living in a fishbowl, you know. Um, and then, um, we just didn't have the technology to be able to shift it. Like, I mean, we didn't even know how to send a MailChimp newsletter Yeah. when we wanted to send MailChimp, we'd be like, someone call Shannon at the <laughs> agency, you know, and Shannon would be like, that's $250. Like, ah, $250. Like, it was just crazy. We didn't know. I, like so many businesses I'm sure can relate to that. And it's yeah. just, it's. It's a it's a death trap.
1: <laughs> so, what is it like trying to publish? I mean, we live in this digital era, mm-hmm. and you're certainly not the first magazine to go. And much you know, larger publications have had that yes. exact same issue too. Mm-hmm. This doesn't doesn't matter if you've got you know three readers or three million readers. This right. is something that affects the entire industry. Yes. So, what is uh, what is it like working in this digital uh, online world nowadays, mm. uh, where everyone's struggling to get a little bit of advertising revenue?
11: Right. Well, it's beautiful, I will say, has been my experience. Um, You know, I look to big platforms like Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop. I look to like Food 52, which is a big New York platform. And I look to, you know, I also, I took a business course uh, called B-School through Marie Forleo out of New York. And I wanted to learn, like, how do you connect with a reader online? And so, you know, we started with a newsletter called Monday Morning Inspiration. And, you know, yeah, and there you know, we, we went through that whole period where advertisers are like, there's no way that how in the world are you going to reach a reader online? And But, you know, words are very powerful. And when they come in your inbox, well, first of all, you have to get somebody to sign up for this thing. So you have to give them like a good enough incentive to sign up because everybody's trying to get your email these days, right? So right, yeah. who do you sign up for? So we had to make that very attractive and... um we came up with this newsletter Monday morning inspiration and it came with beautiful recipes and beautiful quotes. And, you know, we started to just bring in different editorial, um, you know, content and women loved it and started signing up for it. And it just started to work and I'd be like, okay, okay. And I'd go out on the street and I'd hear people saying Monday morning inspiration. And I was like, Oh my gosh, okay. Like it's working. So we just have to keep exploring better technologies and, You know, I think again, like I believe big in this when you put an idea out there, it it sometimes just comes, the answers come rushing in. And one day I got a call from this company in New York called Say Media and they were like, well, you know, we like what you're doing on your Squarespace platform, which I had developed myself. (laughs) <laughs> um and they were they're a big digital publisher so they've created this beautiful platform which allows you know sharing and beautiful reader experiences and allows us to you know content share with other digital big digital platforms and it took us a long time to migrate that but now we're there and life is easy and it's beautiful and you know, we've come up with this whole um uh, you know you were saying like how do you get advertising yeah well, we tried to be, again, very creative. And so I was going to talk a little bit about this example today. So, you know, coming having come full circle with Hilary Drexman, who I used to work for and I used to, you know, love all her. She's a jewelry designer, if you guys don't know. Uh, he, she lives here, but her jewelry was sold like throughout the world kind of thing. Anyway, um, when I first came up with the Anna shop, I thought, well, Anna really has become kind of a lifestyle and we have all these awesome female Readers, so would it not make sense that we create this shop marketplace where they could buy, like you know, kitchen products or any home products or personal products? So one of the first um, clients that came on board or partners that came on board was Hilary Druxman. So um, we did a lot of uh, pieces and started to sell them through our newsletter and on our shop, but then we started to sell sponsorship because. You have to have big readership in order to sell to a sponsor. So uh, Leisure Travel Vans, coincidentally, is originally from Winkler. I don't know if you know who they are, but uh, Tripoli, it's a big big global company now, but uh, started in 1965. And my father used to work for them, actually. So I knew this company, but they just kind of called me out of the blue. I think one of the people in their marketing team was on our newsletter and wanted to work with us. And so they sponsored, started sponsoring content. It's a small
1: world, isn't it?
11: It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's like my mom says, are you moving back home now? <laughs> I'm like, no, mom, um, no plans of that. But <laughs> um, so, we, so we have lots of uh, multiple revenue streams we've created, which is really nice. So they sponsor a story. So that's sort of an advertising sponsorship relationship. Um, and then they need—they have a gift shop of their own, so they needed um, products there. So we collaborated, and we created this beautiful bracelet, which actually has a tag on there. So it was kind of developed like a corporate piece, um, but the word explore was printed on there, which again came from them. But as we were kind of thinking through it, we were like, what a perfect collaboration, Anna, Hillary Druxman and Leisure Travel Vans, because exploring, whether you're actually physically traveling or you're on a spiritual journey— it uh, takes you to another place. The
0: website okay. is everything-anna.com. That is where you can find, gain yourself access to Anna magazine. It was once in publication. You can still order these as back issues, though, you right? Can, yes. They really are beautiful. And uh, signing
11: up for our newsletter is a is a wonderful thing. And you know, when you
0: go to everything-anna.com, it pops up uh, almost immediately. You can sign up for the Monday morning inspiration newsletter. We uh, we we're out of time. We could have gone another half hour, but unfortunately, <laughs> right. our visit ends right now. I mean, no, that's not. <laughs> no, it's it's, it's a, good that you talk a lot in radio, for <laughs> okay, sure. Okay. good thing. Mary Lowen <laughs> is you. our guest. She is the founder of Anna Magazine. It's an, a really nice publication, and it's a local success story. So, Mary, thank you so much for
11: joining us today. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Coming up to 2.30 on 680 CJOB. Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones filling in for Greg Mackling this week, and actually tomorrow and Friday and Monday, it's Hal Anderson filling in for GMAC. Tristan has done a fine job so far. So thank you very much, sir. Um, And um, it's going to be hard for Tristan probably to get through this next segment without mocking me because, Tristan, as you recall, uh, I went on the the 19th annual Laker Classic was last weekend. Right. right, A couple of weekends ago. And I was a four-day extravaganza in Oak Island Resort in western Manitoba, five rounds of golf in four days. And prior to that, I had played four. So I played Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Took Thursday off and then played Friday, Saturday, two rounds on the Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So by Tuesday, I was in a lot of pain. I'm turning 40 in September and I can't, it's, it's become painfully obvious. I mean, I know it's, it is obvious. I'm getting old, but (laughs) I don't want to be in pain. There, there are clear, there have to be some steps that I can take to ensure that my knee isn't so sore that I can barely stand, that my back isn't sore, that my stomach right. isn't sore. Everything hurts from golf. it's not it's not a physically demanding game. Sandy Knox is our guest. She is an international fitness trainer. She's the co-owner of Body Balance Studio which is at uh, 1121 Henderson Highway. She's an independent beach body coach and Canada's top trainer in 2015-2016. Wow. She was our guest in uh, January. We had her on to talk about new year's resolutions as far as fitness is concerned and I've been looking for a reason to bring her back. And she's here now. My body is breaking down, Sandy. Help me.
12: I'm here <laughs> to save you. <laughs> Well,
0: that's kind of sad. I mean, I just love the train of thought that's coming out of
1: Brad McGarry. This is going to be a fun, happy segment. Here we go. Let's fix the car crash. This is going to be
12: fun. Where do we start? We start with a plan. You know what? And if I had a dollar for every time I heard that somebody just destroyed themselves in a golf game or a soccer game or the family trip or hiking or they went glow bowling for three hours and wonder why they couldn't walk the next day. This is an epidemic that's happened every day. I'm here to save you. So seriously, it comes down to a plan. We'll have some exercises that you can actually do daily that anybody can do to prepare your body for exercise. Because seriously, you wouldn't jump out of bed and hike a mountain the next day, would you? No. No. We're going to train for it, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what I would have done for you... You want three exercises? Yes, please. Oh, I don't think we can do them here, but I'll tell you all about them. <laughs> okay. So what I would have you do is, of course, I know you have a six-pack, but we want to work on the... Co- <laughs> uh,
0: well, I, I consumed I many six-packs. <laughs> <laughs> well,
12: that's what the six-pack was. Yeah. <laughs> I knew I heard six back there somewhere. Okay, so first off, I would have you sit on the floor. I would hand you a weight, and you would do a seated twist. So you're working on your core because golfing, well, it is swinging. I know there was some, maybe some liquor beverage goes on there. I don't know what's happening. But at some point, you're swinging clubs, yep. right? So you want that rotation. From the midsection, right? That torso rotation, you're gonna get that with that exercise. That's why my
0: I noticed like the next day it was right in my right in the, yes. the midsection. I, I every time I went to sit up, I, I there was just this pinch, I'm like, oh I, clearly, I, I got more exercise than I was used to.
12: Absolutely. You know, it would have been your abdominals in the front. It could have been your, your QLs on the side. It could be your obliques, your lower back. It's all involved in that twisting. I would have also had you do a band exercise. We have them at the studio. We call it Training for Life. And we have the bands. They attach to the wall, but they're great little things that anybody can buy. You can swing it over your door. There's great attachment. It's a two-band with handles. And I would have you do a twisting motion, exactly what you would do when you swing the golf club. So you're training those muscles, you're building your strength and you're getting that range of motion. Okay. Sound good, right? Sounds great. All right. And then I would add in some lunges, just basically stepping forward and stepping back and practicing that. And that way you're building up the muscles so that you're, this is an annual event that you're doing. Mm -hmm. So you could do this every other day leading up to that because who doesn't want to have a better game?
1: Now, you said lunges and not lunches, right?
12: Not lunches. And I did hear something about lunches in here, too, before we went on the air.
0: Yeah, we were, uh, Um, we we just talked, yeah, our lunches were not uh, very good.
12: Oh.
0: We're (laughs) going to get to the diet. They were edible.
12: Yeah. Doesn't that count for something? How much time do we have?
0: Uh, We have another about 20 minutes or so, (laughs) so lots of time. (laughs) Sandy's here to fix us, Tristan. One day you'll be turning forty-two. I've got so. some
12: duct tape and some hammer and nails, and we'll I'll fix you. Oh, well,
0: you, you'll need a bulldozer. I think that you know, too. Well, and I appreciate the, the the these exercise tips. I mean, for the golf because I'm a once-a-week golfer. Typically, I play on Sunday, and that's it. So to to go on vacation and then play nine rounds in eight days, as opposed to the usual one round, was a bit of a shock to the system. And it, clearly, it was one that my body in its current state is not equipped to handle
12: well the other thing that could have helped you too is it's not so much because people there's a lot of people who don't like exercise so they go like, oh great going can have me exercise every day for the rest of my life well here's the thing you could have done some simple stretches that actually would have helped you along through the day and i'm sure a lot of the crew would have loved that too things like uh simply bending over and touching your knees you notice i didn't say touch your toes because not yes. every, not everybody's there, right? You want to have a place to go. Touch your knees, touch your toes. You could have been in your golf cart. I'm assuming we're using the golf cart. Yeah, we're not was... running around in circles with them. Okay. <laughs> you're you're paying somebody to carry the clubs, right? Yeah. You could have golf cart. Done some twists side. We could do that right now. Who's listening? Yeah. We could actually sit up nice and tall okay. and just twist, twist. You didn't know you were going to be exercising today, right? Just twist, twist side to side, looking at there's oh, a that, twist. you know
0: what? Yeah, that's it. A... Okay. So, you know, do, do I reach over, like there, if I'm twisting reach to my over right? you, should...
12: that'll be a hundred bucks. <laughs> 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 you know, she's only laughing and nobody... No. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, I, it, that's funny that you think that I have a hundred dollars extra in my wallet. <laughs> <you know.
12: laughs> no, that, those are
0: great tips. I mean, this is... Uh, Absolutely. Because there are so many things that, that this kind of got me to start, got me thinking about, like, for example... Um, I remember, this about five years ago now, when I still had a house, and I went out to the backyard in February or March, whenever the snow started to melt, and I had to clean up the reactivated dog poop that started to emerge as the snow was melting. Oh, dear. (laughs) Um, And I I clearly had not done a good job throughout the winter. I was out there for maybe a half hour, and the next day, my hamstrings were so sore, because I just went out and... I wasn't prepared to be out there for as long as I was, and I could barely walk the next day.
12: Uh huh. Were you just bending straight over, like not even bending your knees? Because that, that's the common thing, is when people are bending over, doing stuff like this, these duties, if you will, and they're bending over and they're not bending your knees. So the idea is you want to bend your knees if you're bending down to pick something up. Because if, you, if you're just going to bend down and stand straight up, it's a lot of strain on your back. Okay. So bend your knees to get down there. And then your hamstrings was killing you the next day. Again, the touch your toes, touch your knees would have stretched out the hamstrings. But the other thing is a lot of people complain about tight hamstrings when it's actually their quads. It's actually the front of the legs. So you could stand with your hand on the wall, bring your heel up towards your butt, and stretch your quads. Problem solved.
1: Are you writing down all these notes, Brett? Because this is really informative.
0: I'm going to go back and listen to this again.
1: I think I will, too. I brought a binder.
0: Oh! oh Just kidding. I was
1: going to say, is there a test afterwards?
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, this is one of the reasons why... I wanted to have, because a large segment of our audience is in this kind of age bracket, whether it's uh, people like me who are approaching 40, maybe they've already exceeded 40. And you're you're uh, uniquely equipped to handle this because I was stunned to learn that you are 46. Yes. When you told me you're 46, I thought, come on. I think that was, didn't I, that was my reaction. Come on. You did.
12: You're like, come on. Really? But so, really. And I'm doing more now at 46 than I was at 20. To be honest, I was, you know, are we on the air? Yeah, of course we are. I was a junk food addict in my 20s. Mm-hmm. I've been a trainer for 12 years. But yeah, I was into the fruit loops and the fruit roll-ups. And the, if it had fruit in it, I I was eating it. But, and I but, wasn't doing much of anything.
0: Were you eating actual fruit or just fruit products?
12: Fruit products. Okay. Okay. <laughs> fruit assimilation. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, you know, and I wasn't really doing a lot physically, I wasn't somebody that was on all the sports teams, you know. So when you see trainers don't always think that, oh, they must have been born to train. No, that was I became a trainer, like literally. So now at 46, I mean, um, I have a black belt in taekwondo, I've done kickboxing, my husband uh, has got me into judo now of all things. So Now throw people around for fun. And uh, yeah, like I just keep adding on the more I do, the more my body wants to do. And I learned that from my grade eight phys ed teacher. She was just on fire all the time about fitness. I never understood it because she was 40, which, of course, we all thought she was over the hill. Right. (laughs) And now here we are in her 40s and doing it.
0: Well, and I'm going to, we said we would look for a spot where it felt natural for the conversation. You referenced uh, your husband, Sheldon Gefter, is also in the studio. He is a uh, husband of Sandy Knox, also the manager and chauffeur in the muscle, as was uh, introduced <laughs> to me. And Sheldon, you are 41. Yes. And you, did you say that you are now more active than you ever were with your judo? Yes, and at, at age forty-one.
13: At age forty-one.
0: What uh, and you also have had uh, some work done on your knees. Yeah, I
13: had both my knees scoped, uh, cartilage cleaned out.
0: How long ago was that?
13: Uh, first one was in ninety-seven, and uh, second one was in 03.
0: So why is it now at age forty-one you feel like you feel as though you're in the best shape that uh,
13: you've been in? Because Did, of Sandy. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, with her help. I um, wasn't queuing. <laughs> yeah, that was the correct answer, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, even after my surgeries, uh, things weren't still right or stable. I needed knee braces and I uh, wasn't comfortable enough to get back into the sport. And um, with Sandy's help and doing yoga and um, healing exercises, uh, as well as uh, muscle building and um, cardio, that helped me get back and feel strong enough and stable enough Uh, that I still wanted to fight, you know, I still have it in me, so, and um, not only am I doing that, but I'm also helping train other uh, upcoming athletes.
0: Sandy, he mentioned yoga. For those who don't know what yoga is, maybe can you just tell us, give us like sort of a Reader's Digest summary, what exactly is yoga?
12: Absolutely, I like to just keep it simple, you know, a lot of people will come to me and say, oh, well, you know, I can't do yoga, I'm not flexible. But the thing is, it's actually the other way around. You actually have to do yoga to get flexible. And the style of yoga that I actually teach is Hatha yoga. It's very slow-moving. So really, yoga, for me, is stretching and breathing. And it's everybody's going to use it for a different reason. I have people that come to yoga. All they want to do is breathe for an hour. They just want somebody to tell them when to breathe, where to stand. you know. And that's their idea of relaxation. It's mental relaxation for them. Then I have other people that come, and they just really have... Tight hip flexors, you know, they've been sitting in a movie theater for two hours and they, and they can't stand up or their quads are aching them or they've been carrying the kids all day long and their shoulders are tired. So it's basically a nice series of stretches that are joined together to flow. That's basically how I describe yoga. I'm sure there'll be other people that come with far bigger explanation, but I like to keep it simple.
1: Sandy, we got a text from one of our listeners, Mick, here. Uh, I don't know if this is the type of exercise you'd approve uh, approve of, but uh, Mick was suggesting to Brett, hey, you can bend down to yank a bud out of your bag. That's intensive training with a purpose.
12: (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all... I knew we were going to go in this direction. Well,
0: first of all, I I, I like where you're going, Mick, but uh, Budweiser, come Uh, on, man. you got to drink local. Uh, uh, We're going to continue our conversation with Sandy Knox, who is an international fitness trainer. She's the co-owner of Body Balance Studio and independent beach body coach body balance located at 1121 henderson highway she was canada's top trainer 2015-2016 and we're talking about the fact that i am turning 40 next month and after the annual boys golf tournament uh, just last week i could feel my body just breaking down and i it's clear i need to make some changes in my life so we're going to continue about our chat about that after your forecast up next breb mcgarry with tristan field jones filling in for greg mackling Our guest is Sandy Knox. She is an international fitness trainer. She is the co-owner of Body Balance Studio, an independent beach body coach. Uh, The studio is at 1121 Henderson Highway. She's Canada's top trainer, 2015, 2016, and she's 46 years old, which makes her uniquely qualified, uh, because I never would have guessed she's 46, but this is what happens when you take care of yourself, and that's why uh, I need help from her, because I turned 40 in September, and after the Laker Classic, the golf tournament, I could feel my body. just breaking down so we've talked about how I could have done some stretches or exercises to prepare myself, I failed to do that so the day after the tournament I'm sitting at home, I can barely move uh, everything hurts, what can I do in that instance how do I bring myself back to life
12: Okay, this is so important. i got some great tips here. I'm probably going to count them on my fingers so I don't lose track. Okay, so the first one is definitely fluids. Get in those fluids. That doesn't mean whiskey. That doesn't mean beer. That doesn't mean wine. Okay, people, I know where this is going.
0: Notice she didn't say rum.
12: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a fluid, Brett. Uh, That's still a fluid. (laughs) Fluids. I mean water. Okay, at least eight ounces. Okay, and then second is getting in those light stretches. And then getting into a bath of Epsom salts. Now, a lot of people don't know what Epsom salts are. We use them at home, and it is a maintenance program for us. It doesn't mean you're falling apart when you need to have an Epsom salt bath. It means you're maintaining things. So you can buy it at any department store, any grocery store. It comes in like jugs, almost like a milk jug. And you're going to put two cups into your bath water and sit in there for half an hour. And, and the reason why that's so good is the magnesium actually helps release the lactic acid buildup in the muscles. So that's what you were feeling. That, that soreness is that lactic acid built up and you're probably feeling it everywhere. So sitting there for half an hour. And then the other thing you can do too is if anybody has massage therapist that you see, uh, don't get the relaxation massage therapy. Get therapeutic, deep tissue. Really relax those muscles.
0: Well, uh, you made the reference to the movie theater example earlier. That actually yeah. happened to me last night where I went to see a movie called Wind River at Grand Park. Very good movie, by the way. But the thing with Grand Park is their their seats are super comfortable, but they, they recline. And I don't like to be that guy who does recline because if people recline into my knees, then it's really <laughs> annoying. So I kind of I had to sort of. Kind of crossed my legs just at my ankles to anchor myself so that the seat wouldn't recline. But as a result of that, after sitting like that for two hours, when I went to stand up, uh, my knees really cracked in an odd, painful way. So, <laughs> should yes. I be? I never even thought I would have to prepare myself to go to a movie. <laughs>
12: <laughs> this is what it comes down to, yes. And you know what? You're not the only one. You probably weren't even looking around, but I bet you almost half the people took a little bit to stand up. Two hours seated in, in a, on an airplane, in a vehicle, you know, you're on a road trip, uh, in the movie theater. Absolutely. You can do some stretches before you even stand up. You can cross your right leg over your left. So you'd actually take your heel and bring it up on that knee, opposite knee. And you get a really nice stretch of the hip and the glute area. So, that really would have helped you. Oh, we're doing it right now. We're getting a demo.
0: Okay. Yeah, so that's sure. good, right? Yeah, okay, so you're
12: there. So, now take a breath. And then you're going to exhale as you come forward. You're just going to lean forward. Okay. Lean forward. Not till your head hits the desk, but, oh, okay. there it, it is. Okay, there it so is. like almost
0: like Yeah, almost and then folder. hold
12: that. Almost a complete hold fold right forward. And then switch to the other side. You'd hold it for 10 to 30 seconds. Okay. Okay. And then slowly... Make your way up to a standing position. Instead of having your feet together, put one foot in front of the other so that you have your strong leg at the back to push yourself up. I always teach people how to get out of a chair like that. It's it's much easier than having your feet together and pushing straight up. Much easier on your knees.
0: Yeah, it's fun. Like, these are these are things that 20-year-old Brett would have laughed about, but <laughs> almost 40-year-old Brett needs to know these things now because I go to a lot of movies, and uh, the odd time that I don't get an aisle seat, um, I need to figure out how to deal with that.
12: Yeah. I was a grumpy bear. I'm looking at Sheldon. I'm wondering if we should share what I've got in my leg and the reason yes. why I can't get up out of a movie yes. theater share. So here it is, guys. Um, I actually had an accident in 1998. I have a titanium plate and five screws in my left leg. I literally shattered the fibula, the outside bone, and cracked the tibia on the inside. I was told I would never walk properly again, and, well, here we are years later. I'm into martial arts and everything else, but here's a classic example. We are usually the last people to leave the theater because Sheldon actually needs to wait till I do my series of stretches before I stand up because what happens is I have to work that leg 24-7 hard all the time, and the minute I'm sitting for two hours, it's actually the worst thing for me. Really? The more I move, the better it is. I'm part robot. <laughs> yeah. Where's the oil? Well, that's, yeah, I was gonna say that's fantastic. <laughs> is that, that exciting?
1: Well, that. I mean, that's why you're in, you're in such great shape. Part of it is because instead of having you know all the microwavable <laughs> garbage that. We might indulge in. You just have, you know, a little bit of water and just
0: oil the machine. What do you do when you get up?
12: I I actually do a couple of leg crosses like what I just showed you. Then I stand up and I wait a little bit for it to kick in. And then I have to slowly heel toe walk and just sort of wake it up because it it does get stiff. It would be similar to somebody having um, an arthritis stiffness episode in their legs so I just walk slowly I get to the edge and if there's no rail or anything I'll actually have Sheldon on the opposite side as support and then by the time I get to the bottom of the stairs we're good again Yeah, isn't that something
0: well that's good yeah what do you do when you wake up
12: I wake up in the morning and I sit on the edge of the bed and I just wait a little minute there and I I'd slowly get up one foot behind the stronger leg behind and that leg in the front and then come up and then it usually takes me I'm better now, like with Sheldon's massage therapy that I've had over the years, because the accident happened when I was uh, 27, 28, somewhere around there, and then I didn't meet him until I was 32, so I never had a massage on it, but he's helped the range of motion definitely. I uh, wasn't able to do a squat when I met him um, because of the range of motion, and now I have no problems. So yeah, I take it a little slow in the morning, but I also do squats and lunges almost every day and stretching every day to keep it. People could use that as an excuse to not do something, right?
0: What's your website?
12: www.body-balance.ca, and people can also friend me on Facebook, Sandy Knox.
0: Sandy Knox is her name. She is an international fitness trainer. She is a co-owner of Body Balance Studio, and she's an independent beach body coach. The studio is at 1121 Henderson Highway. She was here because I'm turning 40 in September, and I can feel my body breaking down, and she gave me some tips to help alleviate some of that... uh, that sadness and pain and all that crap that comes with your so. <laughs> Oh, my... Coming up to 3
1: o'clock on 680...
0: This is 680. an uplifting segment. Holy moly. Coming up to 3 o'clock on 680 CJOB. Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones in for Greg Mackling. And this weekend, August 26th, Saturday, special comedy event with Craig Gass at Nashville's. He is our guest. He joins us in studio. And Craig is uh He is an actor. He is a comedian. He is an impressionist. He does voice work, and he's also described on his website as a, a renaissance a freak genius, so I want to know what that means. Uh, but Craig, uh, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us, sir. Excited to be here. So I understand uh, the first place I want to start is you just told me something rather extraordinary about your upbringing, which led you into voice work, yeah. which was well, rather than me clumsily say it, what did you tell me?
14: I, uh... Uh, how I grew up is how I learned how to do voices. I, my entire family, this is not a joke, by the way, this is a true story. Everyone in my family is deaf. My mom, my dad, and my sister are all completely deaf. And growing up in a deaf family, I couldn't learn how to talk from my family. I learned how to talk by copying all the voices I heard on TV. and um, And I never got an accent from the Bronx, which is where I'm from. And everybody in the Bronx sounds like, Tracy Morgan, I'm always pointing out that everybody in the Bronx,
15: everybody in
14: the Bronx talk like this. <laughs> there it is. Whether you black or white,
15: male or female, that's crazy. <laughs> hey, this is the voice of your next door neighbor and I'm a Vietnamese girl. That's crazy. Like
14: Literally every single person.
15: <laughs> this is the voice of your neighbor downstairs and I'm four years old. I sound tough as hell.
1: That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's tremendous. What was that? I mean, I, I, wow, That that is mind-boggling having to learn how to speak from whatever you hear on the TV. I mean, isn't no. that what we're always telling kids, don't spend so much time in front of the TV? And true, yet, true. And, and yet I, here you
14: are. And then uh, and I developed a great sense of humor, too, because uh, deaf people have a great sense of humor about themselves. I always say, like— you know, when I start talking about it on stage, I can feel a room tense up, and I have to explain, like, look, it's not, you're not gonna hurt my feelings. Okay, we can go through this together. Believe me, the craziest deaf jokes I've ever heard in my life are from my own deaf family. Last year, my sister uh, turned 50. I, I, I threw a surprise birthday party for her, and at dinner, she's across the table from me, and she's signing sign language. And she's signing, Do you wanna hear a good joke? And I signed back, Sure. And she went, me too. And I was like, oh my God, what the <laughs> So yeah, deaf people have a, a tremendous sense of humor about yeah. themselves. So but growing up it was the weirder the voice, the easier it is for me to do it. Like Christopher Walken has a real stop and go kind of voice where he'll talk every once in a while. He'll stop. And then I'll keep going. Or uh, Adam Sandler, who is uh, really silly, you know, and uh, uh, he uh, (laughs) likes to do jokes about farting. Shibby-doo. hee hoo Yeah. So it was always like, so now I've been doing um, uh, almost every character i played on TV, on King of Queens, Las Vegas, uh, Sex Sex and the City actually didn't involve voice. But most of the characters I play on TV have involved some aspect of me doing voices. And now for the last few years, I've been doing voices on Family Guy and American Dad. So And they use me as, as a utility guy. And it's a miracle that I'm even working on the show because uh, I'm such a fan that in my first episode, I worked with Seth MacFarlane, who I'm a
0: huge
14: fan of. Mm-hmm. And I got so excited that I creeped him out. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, did, I, did you
0: really creep him out or did oh, it just seem like
14: it? Every, listen, every TV show I've been on, I didn't know anything about the shows, and I had friends who were excited for me. Like, every girl I knew in New York was, like, uh, freaked out about sex in the city. They couldn't believe I was going to be on it. Uh, I was going to date—I dated one of the girls on the show, not in real life, but on the show. I dated Miranda, uh, was the character. And then King of Queens. I had friends who were fans of King of Queens. But for me, Family Guy was— appointment television for me every Sunday because that's usually when I fly home is on Sundays and I can be in front of a TV and I knew everything about Family Guy. So I'm really excited and I get in and they, they discovered me on YouTube, uh, first of all, which was the weirdest part of it. Um, and they off, they said, hey, uh, are you available? They, they needed they were looking for an Al Pacino voice for one segment of one episode of Family Guy. And I guess this woman, Linda, when she discovered the impression of me doing Al Pacino, she saw that people link all these clips together of me doing impressions. And she called Seth McFarlane, who was in his car, and said, Seth, you're not going to believe this guy I just found on YouTube. And she started playing the clips for him over the phone. And according to Linda, in his car, over the phone, Seth McFarlane said, well, hire him. Give him a job. (laughs) And so she said, are you available? And I (laughs) said— I was sitting in a Long John Silver's when she called me. I was like, yeah, I'm available. Um, I, I have no life right now. Right now. Yeah. And then she said, can you be in L.A. next Friday? And I said, yes. She said, can you be blah, blah, blah? Yes. Uh, can you blah, blah, blah? Yes. And I agreed to everything, and I hung up the phone, and I started telling friends, oh, my God, you're not going to believe this. I just got hired to do Voices on Family Guy. And, all, and my comedian friends were like, oh, my God, how much are they paying you? And I went, I have no idea. I've never been... <laughs> I got so excited, I didn't even ask. I just said, oh man, I'll be there, I'll see you there. And then I had to call this woman up, Linda, and I go, Linda, hey, uh, it's Craig Gass. And she goes, are you okay? Is everything all right? And I go, no, I'm, I'm fine. I got my plane <laughs> ticket, I'm going to be there. Um, this is very embarrassing, but um, I never asked you, how much am I getting paid next week? And she goes, oh, uh, uh, hold on, Craig Gass. Craig. And I hear her going through some papers. She goes, Craig Gas, Craig Gass. Uh, Craig, you're getting scale- plus 10. And I go, okay, so I'm scale plus 10. And she goes, yeah. And I go, okay, all right, cool. She goes, you got any questions? And I said, yeah, what's scale plus 10? I don't, <laughs> I'm trying to pretend <laughs> right. like I understand your world. And she had to explain to me that scale, apparently the union minimum was $780 plus 10% was $78. I was going to get paid $858 to record the, the session. And I was like, all right, cool. My, my plane ticket was like 400 So I was like, okay, so I'm going to make money on the trip. It's all right. You know? And then I walk in and it's me and Seth MacFarlane and we're alone and it's only five minutes and I'm super nervous. And uh, he kept doing one line as Peter Griffin where he kept saying, this is crazy. The when Al Pacino was a slum laundromat tenant. (laughs) And they cut to me as Al Pacino surrounded by a bunch of broken down washers and dryers going,
15: you're out of order. (laughs) And you're out of order, and you're all out of
14: order! And I did that three times, and Seth McFarlane is running the board, and he goes, all right, I think we're good. But I'm so nervous because I actually think we're going to be friends now. Oh, no. Yeah, and I said, uh, I go, all right, hey, uh, so you want to hang out? Or uh? And he goes, hang out? What, what do you mean, hang out? And I go, <laughs> Know, you want to you grab a coffee or something? And he goes, I got to work. And I go, oh, do you want me to leave? And he goes, yeah, get the hell out of here. And I go, oh, oh sorry, sorry. And I, and I got my papers and I walked out and I like didn't hear from them again for like six months. And then Linda started calling me uh, semi-regularly and saying, hey, Craig, can you do this voice? Can you do this voice? And And every single one, I was like, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I would send them an MP3. They would approve it and give me the job. And every time I've been in since, I've never seen Seth MacFarlane again. Every time I come in, I always see this guy named Mike Henry, who does the voice of Cleveland and the creepy old guy. And every time I see him, I go, hey, Mike, is uh, Seth around? And every time I see him, he goes, don't worry about Seth. We'll get you out of here real quick. Come on. (laughs) We'll (laughs) get you out of here real quick
0: we got to pause the conversation with Craig Gass, who is in town performing at Nashville's on Saturday, August 26th. It's a special comedy event. He is a jack of all trades. He's an actor. He does voice work. He does impressions and comedy.
14: And and the show, it's one performance. Uh, all the info is at getgas.com. gas Getgas with two S's Or you can go to the social media pages for, uh, for Nashville's and they'll have it there. But getgas.com will take you right to it.
0: More information after we have a quick peek at traffic and weather up next. McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones. Our guest is Craig Gass. He is performing at Nashville's on Saturday, August 26th. He is an actor. He does voice work. He's done a lot of stuff on Family Guy, for example. And uh, Craig, you uh, said you had a a very quick story that you wanted to relay here.
14: Well, because that uh, Al Pacino voice, um, I just think he has the coolest voice in the world. And a comedian friend of mine, Jay Moore, just filmed a movie with him, and, and I was asking him a million questions about Al Pacino, and he told me a story <laughs> that makes no sense to me at all. According to Jay, they were filming in downtown Los Angeles in the middle of the night. Yep. And uh, there's a break in filming. And so Al Pacino grabs Jay and says, Jay, come on, let's go for a walk. We'll, we'll walk to our trailers, which are two blocks away. And uh, he goes, I'm walking alone in downtown Los Angeles with, with Al Pacino. <laughs> and he says, when they got away from the rest of the crew, Al Pacino looked up in the sky and went... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop right there.
15: Stop right there, Jay. You see that? That's the moon, baby. And that'll be ours forever. What the hell does that mean? Like
14: that? Like, is take him aside like like that? Like, like Al Pacino's so in awe of simple stuff. Like, does he wake up every morning in his house and go, whoa, 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 slow down,
15: slow down. Everybody, just (laughs) slow down right there. Are you telling me this is my home? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> like, he's
14: that out of it. Like, I just, yeah, I love it. I love it. And by the way, I, and I'll, I'll get into this a little bit when we come back, but everyone who I do an impression of has tried to meet me, and almost everybody, and it's led to some awkward moments. Uh, Christopher Walken, who I had dinner with, hated me. Oh, and no. I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you the story when we get back. And, again, I'm at Nashville's. Uh, the link for all the tickets is uh, getgas.com. Get gas with two S's. Or you can go to the social media pages for Nashville's. But the
0: show is Saturday night. It's one show at nine o'clock. His name is Craig Gass. He uh, also, just very quickly, we have uh, 30 seconds. I noted on your Twitter a couple of days ago, at Craig Gas Comedy, mm-hmm. Winnipeg, Saturday, let's do this, hashtag Jets, hashtag Chris Jericho, hashtag high crime rate, which is telling. <laughs> or it's almost like you're, uh, you're uh, uh, seeing into the future because there's a poll out today that suggests <laughs> that Canadians see Winnipeg as the least safest city in the country.
14: That's And I'm from New York and Cana- <laughs> all my Canadian friends have told me, like, oh, be careful. You know, <laughs> like, really? <laughs> and, and then I had one buddy who who had to double down and say, I'm not joking. You, you be careful. And I go, all right. And I'm, yeah, you know, it's... I'm walking around, like I go for a walk every night, you know, so I'm walking around late at night going, am I supposed to get Like attacked here? What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like everybody's so nice, you know? So, uh, But yeah, I I got a kick out of hearing that from friends of mine.
0: More from Craig Gass. We're going to continue our conversation after sports and news, but we'll check your forecast in two minutes. Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones. Our guest is Craig Gass. Special comedy event happening this Saturday, August 26th at Nashville's with Craig Gass who is an actor. He does voice work. He does impressions. He is a renaissance freak genius, according to the Website getgas.com and Oh, I know who wrote that. Yeah, it was uh yeah, hang on a second.
14: It was a writer by the name of Lon Friend who I love and adore. That's right. Renaissance so, freak genius. What is that, by the way? A Renaissance freak genius? I don't know, but he's he's like a poet and he smokes a lot of pot, and I love him. So <laughs> it's just like uh, it's just like, all right, cool, you know. Uh he's just uh he's just a real just a, a lovable wonderful writer. And, um, and he agreed to, to do a bio for me and he, he led in with that for, uh, for the thing. But, uh, but we, we teased before we went to the commercial about, um, about, uh, uh, I'm known as a comedian who does impressions and everyone who I do an impression of has tried to meet me and it's always led to awkward moments, which I worked on a TV show, um, called Las Vegas with, uh, Alec Baldwin was my partner on the show. Um, not part, like we didn't, not, not like partner, we didn't go camping, but no. like partner, like we robbed the casino together. And, and uh, every day, Alec Baldwin would come up to me and go, can I hear some more of your Al Pacino? I love your impressions. I want to hear some more of your Al Pacino. And, that, and so I would do impressions for him. And then he would do impressions for my friends. Like he did amazing. And he does like this Tony Bennett where you go, what does Tony Bennett sound like? And he'll go, he'll just grab an empty martini glass and get a glossy eyed look on his face and go, yeah, I'll tell you what.
15: I used to date Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe was a real foxy lady. I once made love to Marilyn for up to 12 hours until the paramedics, the paramedics came along and said,
14: Tony, she's gone. It was like crazy material. The material was insane. So uh, I remember Alex saying to me, do you ever do the impressions for the people you do impressions of? Do you ever walk up and say, hi. I do an impression of you. Would you like to hear it? And I said, no. You know what happens? Uh, The people I do impressions of come up to me and they say, uh, hey, I hear you do an impression of I want to hear it. And then I'll do it for them. And then they feel weird. And he said, you know why? It's because you take a part of their soul. And I go, what? (laughs) And I kind of get that. But there was one night where I did my first roast. It was at the Friars Club about 15 years ago. And uh, it was a roast of Richard Belzer. Not a televised one. It was just an official uh, at the uh, Friars Club. And uh, in the middle of dinner, we had dinner before the event. And it was this formal dinner. And you sit down at this table, and there's a steak at each table or each seat. And so I sit down. Richard sits down. And Richard goes, Chris, get over here. Chris, do you know Craig Gas? Come over here and sit between me and Craig. I, I look up. It's Christopher Walken. Yeah. And he sits down. And Richard is talking to him, and everything about Christopher Walken's body language is he doesn't care, he's not, oh. he's not engaging at all. He's not even looking at Richard Belzer. And then I hear Richard start to go, "All right, Chris, listen." This is Craig Gass. I know a lot of people do an impression of you, but you gotta hear this. And I go, oh, Richard, he, he doesn't want it. And he goes, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Chris, qu- Chris, will you look at me? Look at me, look at me, look at me. Okay, now look at Craig. Okay, now Craig, do your impression from. And Walken has a fork and a knife in his hand. He throws it down on the table and goes, all right, what do you got? And I went, <laughs> I don't
15: know. It's, I try to sound as weird as possible. And every once in a while, I say the word cowbell, pow, and Walken went,
14: wow. And then he went back to his steak. And then Belzer starts going, Hold on, hold on. Have you ever heard somebody do a Sam Kinnis impression? He's making me run through all these impressions. And now I'm screaming at him going, I don't know if you even know this guy is. This is a guy who was around the 80s. He used to scream a lot and do a lot of drugs. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> and now he goes, uh, Hey, have you ever heard anybody do uh, Adam Sandler impression? Now I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but I just want you to eat your food and I'm sorry. Shibby doo. <laughs> and walking cuts me off and just goes, listen, I get it. You're talented. Good for you. And I was like, I'm not bothering you. Richard's the one who keeps bothering you. And it just, it just was awkward. The even crazier than that is when I was part of the Howard Stern show, I did, I sat next to Howard Stern for a year auditioning to be a sidekick. And during that year, I would chime in as different celebrities saying awful things. I had an impression of Gene Simmons. And the only way I figured out that we could use the impression was every time we had a music guest in the studio, I would constantly interrupt the music guests as Gene Simmons and try to sell them crappy Kiss products. We would just <laughs> right. I would just make up crappy Kiss products off the top of my head and then say, That sounds great,
15: but you know what's even better is right now at KissOnline.com <laughs> is the brand new Kiss Toilet. Now, you might be asking yourself, what's the difference between a regular toilet and a kiss toilet? Well, <laughs> ours is a pay toilet. You put in 50 cents. You have to watch. Yeah,
14: whatever. So uh, <laughs> it led to uh, I didn't realize at the time. None of us realized at the time. Apparently, the real Gene Simmons actually started getting hate mail because of the things I was saying on the air. Oh my God. And it led to Gene Simmons. Get, you can see this on YouTube. Gene Simmons gets on a plane, flies to New York to confront me live on the air on the Howard Stern Show. We had a confrontation, and then it became a friendship. And then now, just recently, I performed with KISS, where I ended up upsetting all the KISS fans on this event called the KISS Cruise. It's 3,000 of the biggest Kiss fans from around the world, and a girl on the cruise said, uh, who was the cruise director, said, Hey, you're the comedian. You're the guy from Family Guy. Um, Do you want to make a funny announcement on this ship with me tomorrow morning? And I was like, oh, God, yes. The next morning, everyone on the Kiss cruise woke up to... Good morning, everybody. This is Paul Stanley,
15: and this is Gene Simmons from Kiss. And we have a very important announcement about the Kiss cruise. Do not panic, But we have a very important announcement. It seems that the KISS cruise has just hit an iceberg.
14: Which, keep in mind, when I said we've hit an iceberg... We're in the middle of the Bahamas when I
15: said
0: that.
14: There's no reason for you as an intelligent person to go, This ship's going down! We're in the Bahamas. (laughs) But it's like Jaws, right? There's no reason for you to be afraid of a shark. Not at all. But enough people have seen Titanic.
15: But do not panic because (laughs) KISS is going to take care of everybody on the KISS cruise, okay? We actually have three packages to get you off the cruise. First... We have the platinum package. It's $5,000, which is we put you in a life raft and you have your own private photo taken with Kiss. Then we have the diamond package. Isn't that right, Paul Stanley? That's right. The diamond package for $10,000 where we we'll throw you in the ocean with Tommy and Eric and then Kiss floats by on a raft and we do a private acoustic show in the
14: ocean. Everything I said was stupid clearly stupid, but apparently a few of the passengers on the ship actually ran to the employees and said, is KISS really going to charge us to get off this boat? They really thought that we had hit an iceberg, and that KISS was standing at the exits waiting for you to pull your credit cards out. Yeah. that When you come out to the show at Nashville's this Saturday, the, there's uh, it's a bunch of uh, impressions, stories about people who I do impressions of, and there's a piece of comedy I've been working on called I think Gene Simmons is going to kill me. That's that's the name of the piece. It's a it's an it's a twenty-minute epic piece that I'll be doing and uh you know, there's going to be uh, some dirty jokes, but I am a good person. I love my mom, and uh, I'm a good person. So all these jokes are coming from a really happy place. And uh, all the info is at getgas.com, getgas com, or you can go any of the Nashville's uh, social media pages like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. They all have links to the tickets, and, uh, um, and it's just one show. We're going to do one show, we're going to knock it out.
0: Craig Gass, what a pleasure this has been. Thank
14: you so much. Oh, man.
3: You guys are such a good audience. Well, Thank we, you. We could do, yeah, we could do this
1: forever, but uh, we've got news to go through, and our show's almost over anyway. So, uh, Craig, anytime you're in Winnipeg, I think you're welcome in here. So, fabulous.
0: And once again, as far as traffic is concerned, uh, there is the power. Uh, somebody hit a pole that fell on a couple of vehicles on Dougal Road, so that's affecting traffic. Watch out. Somebody hit a pole. That's crazy. That's crazy. Back that thing up.
1: There's a pole down. Let's just just hope nobody's been injured in that crash.
0: (laughs) Watch out for the pole. Traffic in two minutes. Brad McGarry, Tristan Field-Jones, Richard Kluche
3: joins us now live in studio. What's coming up in the news, Mr. Kluche? Lots going on this afternoon. There's uh, another new way that uh, the city of Winnipeg can be in contact with you via text message. That's in case a disaster happens. We're asking the question, though, when will we actually see the technology implemented where if, and the best example of this... Is that you're a victim in a domestic situation mm. and you can't pick up the telephone to call the police, yeah. but you could text message them. How far are we away from having that technology here in the city of Winnipeg? It's used widely in other jurisdictions. How far are we away from that technology here? More on that coming up after four.
16: What I miss? <laughs> <laughs> I was taking your voice guy down the hall uh, to, to Power ninety seven, and I I did I did try my my one impression on him, and he said it was very good.
0: I wanted to try an impression on him, but I didn't want to derail him from doing his. Uh, they are all extraordinary. Great his were gas. extraordinary. So what and, was your
3: impression?
16: Uh, it is the Pillsbury Doughboy. All
3: okay. right, we're listening.
16: Oh, you want me to do it? Yeah. Okay. Well, I have to. You have to okay. She's like,
3: <laughs>
0: No, that okay. wasn't my best. Well, you did just come back. You scurried yeah, back over I did. So yeah,
1: yep, That uh, was
16: pretty good. Is, yep. is that what's
0: coming up on the news? Are you doing no. impressions?
16: No. Uh, I have surreptitiously, though, recorded Shania Twain practicing some poetry. So we will play that for you as we give away Beat the Box Office tickets to Shania Twain, and that will involve her poetry. Hmm.
1: Are you... I was just going to ask on the news, are you guys going to be doing anything more on this crime survey regarding uh, perception of
3: Winnipeg? We certainly are. Sheldon Mm -hmm. Rogers uh, working on the story for Global News. But we're also going to speak with uh, somebody, Julie, that um, deals with perception in North America and trying to change attitudes in cities.
16: Found him on Twitter. He's written about how some cities in America have changed uh, their narrative. He is uh, a wizard at doing this for companies, but apparently uh, you can do it with cities as well, so we'll get some of his insights. Being a complete outsider with no connection to Canada or Winnipeg at all.
0: Richard Cloutier, Julie Buckingham, thank you very much, two of you. That'll be on the news from 4 until 7 on 680 CJOB. Just want to play uh, some quick audio here. This is actually a woman named Tamara who witnessed the incident that saw a truck hit a pole, power pole, that fell on two vehicles on Dougal Road, which is affecting traffic in both directions between Panet and La Maudière.
5: Well, we were actually going eastbound, so we were just
2: sitting at the light, and then it was a, a semi and a trailer. He was pulling into one of the uh, to, like we're Crown Utilities, something like that, and um, took out the pole, and it fell down, and it hit a cube van, and then it landed on the police car. And so it just went instantly stupid, and it's already bad because Lajmodi is a mess, so they were trying to get people to turn around, but, like, right beside us, there's a guy with a trailer and a tow truck with a car, and they're trying to, and fuel tanks, like, everybody's trying to turn around. It's just, like, a big, ugly mess right now.
6: Wow. Now, when this poll came down, Tamara, like, was anybody injured in this, or does everybody look like they're Okay.
2: Um, I don't think so. It was behind us but we could hear like we you could hear the boom. We seen the lines moving and that's when we realized it was
5: we looked out the back and it was it, it looked like everybody seemed to be okay. I think the driver of the truck looked a little
0: upset. That is Tamara who witnessed the incident that saw a truck hit a power pole that fell on two vehicles and Dugald. Googled- uh, affecting traffic both directions between Pennett and Lege Maudière. That's all the time we have. Tristan Field-Jones, well done. A solid thank you. run it's, for you, sir. I had a
1: lot of fun, so this will be my last day uh, filling in as co-host. I'm doing a few different things for the rest of the week and then uh, got a long weekend coming up. But to Brett, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, number 34, Hal Anderson. That's going to be amazing.
0: Hal Anderson, Thursday, Friday, Monday. Savannah Pierce, thank you very much, and Master Control, and thank you for listening to 680 CJOB.